Well, good evening, everybody. Let me welcome you to the kickoff of our Wednesday night summer series for 2018. We're glad you're here. Um, as most of you are aware, Westminster is celebrating its 50th anniversary this year, and uh, we're gearing up for a, a big service on July 8th, a day to recall God's faithfulness and celebrate the things that he's done. And we thought as a worship committee, it would be good to to orient our summer series kind of along the lines of that and, and to cover some some aspects or focus on some things that perhaps would not be given a focal point on the day of our celebration. So we're, we're glad to celebrate God's faithfulness along those lines this, this year. Um, if we were to consider God's attributes and if we were to just call out different attributes of God, it, it wouldn't take too long for somebody to mention God as being a faithful God as, as one of his attributes. Uh, perhaps one of the most favorite hymns in Christendom is, is Great is Thy Faithfulness. We love to sing that hymn and recall the faithfulness of God. And so we, we readily acknowledge the faithfulness of God. But what are, we, what are we meaning by that? What do we mean by God's faithfulness? When you think of God as being faithful, what comes to your mind? Go ahead and call out what comes to your mind. Always there. What else? Takes good care of us. Yeah. Pardon? He hears our prayers. Faithful to promises. Trustworthy. Good. Yeah. These are all facets of God's faithfulness. Someone who is faithful is trusted, reliable, one in whom confidence can be placed. A faithful person is one who keeps his word one who follows through on their commitments, one who keeps his promises even to his own hurt. So as we think on in, during this series, as, as we go through this, um, our desire is to hear our various speakers testify to the ways that God has demonstrated these qualities in relation to the specific subject being presented each week. Tonight, we're privileged to hear from three individuals who've been with the church for quite some time. They are each employed by the church currently, and they have different perspectives from their time being employed with the church and, and being a member of the church. And so we're going to hear from them in a moment. Um, just to give you a, a, a pre um, to whet your appetite for next week, uh, next week we're going to have a guest speaker come in. Uh, Dr. Daniel Spanger from Lancaster Bible College. He's the head of the Arts and Sciences Department. He's going to be looking at the year 1968, which is the year it all began for Westminster. It's also the year it all began for me, so I have particular interest in that uh, <laughs> that subject. I understand there was a lot going on in 1968, um, so you'll want to come out and hear all about that. So just to whet your appetite for next week. Um, let me begin with prayer, and then I'm going to introduce the three speakers, and they'll each come up in succession, share share what God has laid on their hearts, and and then um, then we'll wrap up our time. So let's let's begin with with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we come to you, the one who is faithful, faithful beyond what we can even imagine as faithful. We thank you that you are true to your covenants, that you are true to your word that you are faithful 
to complete that which you have begun. We're thankful in light of all of this that we can place our hope and our trust in you, that we can have confidence to face tomorrow no matter what brings, what it brings. We pray that you would use these speakers tonight as they testify about you and the evidences of your hand over the years, that you would cause us to reflect and to celebrate and rejoice in who you are. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So our first speaker this evening is Betsy Graver. Betsy has been with the church, I think, since this began, right? 40 years. Okay, ten, yeah, yeah, 40 years. Um, and I don't have much by way of biographical information, and that's because she's going to share all that in her presentation. And um, followed by Betsy, we'll have Pat Bleeker, who um, has also been with the church for quite some time. And I'm just going to say it like that. I'm not going to specify things. Uh, you get in less trouble that way. But Pat graduated from Ephrata High School and earned her B.S. in music education with a major in organ from Elizabethtown College. So she's been local all her life here. I didn't realize that. She has taught elementary music in Conestoga Valley School District, music and organ instruction at LBC, Lancaster Bible College, private piano instruction, and currently teaches private organ instruction. She has been an organist of Westminster since 1973 and became director of music 10 years later, 1983. She has oversight of four vocal choirs, two handbell choirs, five, play, five instrumental groups, and accompanies various vocal and instrumental solos, soloists. Additionally, Pat has planned the numerous Westminster music concert series that we've all enjoyed over the years, and she also has directed numerous uh, two-day music camps over the years for our youth, which have been a tremendous blessing educating them about music and church history all combined. And we appreciate Pat's work with that. Pat's been married to Mark since 2002 and delights in sharing the lives of their combined five children and four grandsons. So we're going to hear from Pat. And then our, our final speaker tonight is Rachel Waldo, who is also employed with the church um, Rachel has attended Westminster for about 20, over 20 years. Uh, she began attending, I think, as a youth, moved away, came back, and uh, she, um, she's married to her husband, Jason, for 13 years. They have four children together, Nora, who's nine, Jay, seven, my favorite name, Ivy, who's six, and Violet, who is two. Um, Rachel currently serves on staff as the nursery coordinator, which she has done for the past four years. Uh, in addition to that, she volunteers as the Explorers Ministry Coordinator and is active in the Women's Ministry Committee. She and her husband also lead a home fellowship group, so Rachel's a pretty, pretty busy woman. <laughs> um, Rachel has a business degree from Millersville University and worked as an insurance agent for a local company until the birth of her second child. So we're thankful to have each of you here tonight to share what you have observed uh, over the years in, in relation to God's faithfulness. As we listen to their testimonies, let's consider God's faithfulness, celebrate him together, for great is his faithfulness. Betsy, go ahead and get us started. I've been asked to talk about the God's faithfulness in the church office. 
where was the church office in 1968? Westminster Presbyterian Church Congregation met at the, West, at the Lancaster Bible College. Without a building, administrative work was done at the organizer Ising pastor's home office. Reverend William Siddons was assisted by a volunteer secretary, Dorothy Dot Niedemeyer, and she worked from home. Sunday bulletins were duplicated on a desktop offset press. Letters were written on a typewriter using carbon sets as file copies. This, this is a carbon set. <laughs> Most people have not seen them. I saw many. In 1970, a small church office and the pastor's office was included in the new building. Both offices were located in the present room 115 and 116 space. There were three ordinary black dial phones, one for the secretary, one for the pastor, and one was in the kitchen, all using one line. The last four numbers matched the church address, 2151. Betty Brown, Dot Niedemeyer, and Nancy Frankenfield's sister worked for Bell Telephone and arranged for that. There was an IBM electric typewriter without correction, a dictionary, the offset press, and a folding machine, which everyone loathed. Mr. Siddons only used his office for meetings. He studied at home. God was faithful. The church grew. A part-time secretary was hired, then another, then another. None were members, and none stayed. Phyllis Widlake was the one before me. Mr. Robert Bell was hired as assistant to the pastor in 1975. He served until 1978. When Phyllis learned that she would have to ink up the press and use it, she resigned. <laughs> she claimed an allergy to it, so the job always fell to Bob or the pastor. It was finally determined that the secretary should be hired from within the church membership, hoping she would take an interest and stay. Little did Session know how long. I've been here 40 years. On a busy day in May in 1978, Mr. Siddons called me. My house was teeming with mothers and Girl Scouts. I was their leader. My little scout was 10 years old. My son was 15. I was educated in business, but my business had been wife and mother for 16 years. But God was faithful to me. He knew I would need a suitable job for my future. In just seven years, my husband would be diagnosed with a fatal cancer at 46. The day after Memorial Day, I began my career as church secretary. My hours were nine until noon. Mr. Siddons was always waiting for me, consulted with me, and then left his, for his home office. I worked alone. Every Thursday, I printed 350 bulletins and anything else that needed duplication. There was no copier. I used lots of carbon sets. There was a nice adding machine, but that was stolen in a robbery, never to be replaced. 
The church was 10 years old, and Mr. Siddons suggested a new issue of the church directory. It was my first big project. I typed and printed it, took it to Dot, and she assembled it at home, all alone in the office. Mr. Siddons was called to the chaplaincy at a new retirement village in St. Louis, Missouri, that fall of 1978. I was completely alone in the church office. About the only staff I saw was the organist when she popped in to give me bulletin music. We did have a part-time custodian, but he worked at night. God was faithful. Manheim Township and the church were growing by leaps and bounds. Our first edition was built in summer 1979. Suddenly, it became a very busy place during the day. I remember workmen drove me crazy using the church phone extension, constantly butting into the congregation's conversations with me. Harry Black and Skip Luce, in particular, stopped by often to supervise the construction, and God was faithful to have them lend their expertise. We added Sunday school and youth rooms during that expansion. After two years, Reverend Thomas Llewellyn was called. Sadly, the Lord took him home before he could move here. I mostly could handle things alone, but there were times when I had questions. I found I could call Bill Sterling, a retired founding elder, and he would help me. After Mr. Llewellyn died, Bill was hired part-time to be with me as our first church administrator. Bill was a wonderful support. I learned a lot about the beginning of the church from him. We were a good office team for six more months until Reverend Robert Williamson was hired as the church's second pastor. Bill continued to assist the church until a full-time church administrator was needed. Jack Kraft was hired for that position in 1991, followed by Bill Warfel, and in 2009, Michael Plouts. My first computer. We saw rapid growth in the early 1980s, and I saw the need for a computer to help me. I investigated what was available, visiting businesses where the salespeople had not much more understanding than I did. Bill Sterling and I approached the session with our proposal for a Tandy personal computer for the church office. Tandy was made by Radio Shack. God was faithful. Session turned us away. In 1983, computers had advanced. Session members got behind me, and a Victor computer software and tractor feed printer were purchased for, wait for it, $10,000. I looked at it in amazement. I received some training, but was mostly self-taught on the select operating system. By 1988, I had a compact and learned WordPerfect. In 1995, all staff received new gateway computers with Microsoft Office Suite, Word operating system, complete with a mouse. <laughs> I had some training, but once again, I was mostly self-taught. Today, Dells are available for everyone and a big screen for most of us. I use, I use Publisher to write the bulletin. There's no way we could work without our computers. God is faithful to provide continued precious technical assistance in the church office and people who know how to use it to the church's great advantage.
we've come a very long way from a typewriter and an offset press. I like to learn, and besides computer courses, I took college-level writing and grammar courses any chance I saw them available, including seminars from the Lancaster Theological Seminary, Lancaster Bible College, Harrisburg Area Community College, and Penn State Harrisburg Campus. They all provided a great learning experience for me, but the two-day course at Penn State was outstanding. I really appreciated that opportunity the church provided for me. Also used at Penn State University is the AP Style Book, and it's my go-to reference, and I continue to study and rely on it. Westminster's pastors. I served every one of Westminster's pastors, and I loved them all. I would say they had more in common than differences. I found them to be intelligent men, some highly intelligent. All loved and, and diligently studied the word. All came to the pulpit or lectern well prepared. God called each of the three senior pastors here at just the right time. Mr. Siddons was perfect as the organizing pastor. He would have been successful in business. Administration was his gift. I believe things ran so smoothly in the church office for the two and a half years that we were without a pastor because of his good organization. Bob Williamson was an outgoing, warm personality. He liked to laugh at himself and amused me endlessly. <laughs> we worked closely together. He hated administrative work. He used to walk into the office and now say in a booming voice, I hate administrative work. <laughs> Forming a small group program was a big project I helped him with when he first arrived. I took attendance, and Bob was interested in that. After I saw folks were consistently missing from the worship service, he would ask me for a list. He spent time with that list calling and would say, this is God calling. <laughs> I have not seen you in my house. <laughs> I found many would return the next week. It was amazing the way they would respond to his admonition. This was why the membership care committee was formed. It was taking too much of his time playing the God part. <laughs> so I would report poor attendance to the committee, and they would assign, he, they would be assigned to uh, make inquiries as to why members were not at church. He was social-minded and worked hard to end pornography in Lancaster. He was ahead of his time in that. Churches didn't seem to recognize the dangers. Currently, they do. He was insightful concerning the needs of a growing congregation. Membership shot up at Westminster Church just as Lancaster County grew at a fast rate. Bob and his wife, Beulah, were a counseling team. She, as a trained Christian counselor, would give many hours of service to the congregation. I've had many losses in my life. Bob is one of them. He died about one year after his retirement, April 1st, 1996. I'll always miss him. 
Michael Rogers is the hardest working pastor that I have ever met, and I've known many. I would say that he and I are the most alike in our work ethic. We both spend many, many hours at our desk and computers. Solitude in my work is fine with me, just coming up for socialization once in a while. I see that trait in him, too. I enjoy our little talks to catch up after he's spent a long time in his office. God gave Michael the gift of preaching. No one does it better. And Westminster Church had, has reaped the results with continued rapid growth and changed lives under him. His years here as a senior pastor who preaches the word proves God's faithfulness. In 1991, we were blessed with another major building addition, sanctuary, floor expansion, balconies, this room, bigger kitchen, gym, offices for pastors, and a big office for me, and a full-time assistant secretary. I insisted on an office sink and the hallway to the pastor's offices. I thought it was important for visitors to the pastors to have privacy and not to have to walk through the office space. Bob named it the Betsy Graver Memorial Hallway. <laughs> a copier that actually printed on two sides was added and a duplicator. No more carbon sets ever again. Yay. The church office continues to be a very busy place. The growth of the Westminster ministry led to the addition of more support staff and ministry staff. With more ministry staff came more programs. The office work increased because of all the vital programs and ministries added. People often want to measure the office work by the number of members we have. But the measure of our office work comes with the various ministries offered. Retirement. I do not face retirement with glee. I've always loved it, but after the death of my husband in 1995, my work was my salvation. I cannot imagine life without the church office. I always look forward to coming. For me, it is the best place to be. Almost three years ago now, I was switched to part-time at 26 hours a week. At the end of August, I hand the bulletin over to someone else. It has been my favorite part of the job, and I've done virtually every Sunday bulletin for 40 years. It is time someone else is responsible to do it each week. God has a plan for my future. As long as possible, I'll do something for the church office ministry, even if I only pray for the work going on there. God will be ever faithful. Good evening. I'm going to take um, a few moments to make a pitch. If you have not registered for July 8th afternoon, please go home and do so. Your planning committee has planned a great day, starting with worship, which you don't have to register for. But the 3 to 6 hour, 3 o'clock to 6 o'clock, has lots of things in it and a fantastic dinner. So please go home and register. But not yet. Wait till we're done. Thank you for having me tonight. God's faithfulness. 
Because I've been involved in the music department for almost all of my years here at Westminster, the music aspect will be the basis for much of what I have to share tonight. When I look back at my time here at Westminster, it seems as though the journey began only a short time ago. <clears throat> but in reality, I was much younger, and I didn't need to know you were born in 1968. <laughs> and I had started to attend here, but like so many at that time, because the church looked inviting. It was a new structure along Oregon Pike, sitting in the middle of a lot of green space. There wasn't anything around the church. The steeple was white and crisp and tall, and the main part of the building was under that steeple, with just a portion off to the right. If you picture the steeple, go out on the pike and look at the church and picture the steeple, the structure below the steeple, the small covered porch to the right, a single door entrance just a little bit further, and the building ending not too far beyond the door you'll have a picture of the original building. In other words, you are sitting in the first sanctuary. And the food cupboard is the end of the original building. If you turn left at the food cupboard and go all the way back to the end of that hallway, you are now at the back of that building. The kitchen and the fellowship hall are on your left. That was the entire building. And it was spacious to those who moved into God's gift here on Oregon Pike in December of 1970. God blessed them with this building and proved his faithfulness. It was part of a good work begun. While not a part of the original congregation, I arrived here sometime in 1971 and began worshiping with those dear people. One thing was clear. There was an energy and enthusiasm for what God was doing among them. It was very clear that they were experiencing his guidance, his grace as they pursued his work, his protection as they put personal resources on the line for him. Many of you have heard the story of how several offered their houses and other personal resources as collateral for loans to build this building. How many of us would step out in that kind of faith? And yet, as they did that, they were continuing on the path of trusting him and he was continuing his work through them. That congregation of less than 300 people pulled together to accomplish so much. They established a new work. They built a house of worship, conducted a Sunday school for all ages, molded a strong worship service centered on revealing God's word, and even worked in teams to clean the building each week. There was an excitement that was hard to contain, and the joy of the Lord was so very evident. God provided people needed for so many areas of the church life. About a year after I began worshiping here, their organist resigned due to his work reassignment. Because Reverend Siddons knew that I was a music teacher and organist, he encouraged the choir director, Anson Luce, known to us as Skip, to approach me about the opening. You know, when you're a part of a small congregation, you can't hide. Everyone knows you and everything about you. Harry and Mary Alice Black's daughter was in kindergarten at Fritz Elementary School, where I taught classroom music. They told Reverend Siddons, he told Skip, and the next step was a phone call to me. 
Over the years, Skip and I have laughed about that phone call. After introducing himself and stating the purpose of his call, we talked for a while. He asked if he could come over and introduce himself. Right now. Tonight. And at that moment, I suddenly realized I had just burnt the tray of chocolate chip cookies that were in the oven. But sure, why not come on over? I figured if he was still interested after smelling burnt cookies, I might have a chance in this congregation. We just talked about this recently, and he looked at me with a curious grin on his face and asked if I had ever, if he had ever auditioned me. I don't recall meeting with a committee or playing an audition. Perhaps I did and just don't remember. At this age, that's quite possible. <laughs> but it just shows you how a small congregation can work through situations. Obviously, that would not happen and is not happening today. The result of that meeting is even more interesting. At that point in life, I was teaching, and we were about to start the project of working with a contractor to build a house. I was very interested in this job, but I thought there was enough on my plate. However, there was a young lady in the congregation about to enter her senior year in high school. She had been studying organ, and I encouraged Skip to hire her for a year, and then I would be more amenable to taking the organist position. So Nina Wormert was hired for a year, and she proved to be more than capable as she gained service playing experience. God was gracious in providing the congregation with Nina and in providing Nina with an opportunity that benefited her as she went to college to study music and the organ, and she became a very fine organist. God was gracious in providing a job for me with a congregation who quickly became family and friends. That was in September 1973. You were how old then, Mark? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't need to know that tonight. <laughs> His timing was perfect, for by then our house had been built. We moved into it. I was in another year of teaching, and that fall I became pregnant with my first child. This job was just right. It was a small job, a company senior choir, and play one Sunday worship service. It gave me an opportunity to improve my organ skills and to learn new literature. Playing services, accompanying the choir and soloists, hearing good teaching, what more could I ask for? By the time I started here at Westminster, I had already had 12 years of experience as an organist. <clears throat> Beginning at my home church when I was 14 and in ninth grade, I learned skills of accompanying hymns, anthems, soloists, and preparing service music. Continuing in college with the concert choir, I learned more difficult music, but more importantly, I learned how to quickly set up music on different organs when we went from church to church on choir tour. And for just over a year, I played services for First Church of Christ scientists. I consider that experience another of God's gifts to me, while not sharing the same beliefs, that congregation provided me with musical growth. Frederick Robinson, founder of the Lancaster Opera Workshop, and Romaine Bridget, one of Lancaster's foremost singers and teachers, were the soloists for that congregation. There were two worship services each week, Sunday morning and Wednesday evening, and they introduced me to all the standard vocal repertoire 
that was to become the initial menu of soloist music here at Westminster. God stretched me and prepared me for the solo repertoire that I would need to accompany here at Westminster. By the way, when that congregation offered their building for sale, many of you might recall that Westminster Church bought the building, which is now home to our then daughter, now sister church, Wheatland Presbyterian. The organ that I had played came with the church, and I did have a few opportunities to play it again. It was another part of the tapestry that God was weaving. Probably the first thing that caused fear and trepidation in this new job was knowing that Christmas was coming. And that meant accompanying the Hallelujah Chorus. Now, I had played that piece many times, but did not have lots of experience accompanying it on the organ. So my little fingers and feet were busy that fall, just waiting for the first time it would be brought out in choir rehearsal. Well, the weeks went by. The choir was busy preparing a number of anthems, but the Hallelujah Chorus had not yet seen the light of day. Little did I know that this choir knew that piece inside and out and usually only got to it in the rehearsal before the big Sunday. <laughs> Skip had no idea how I was sweating that moment, but it all went well and I had yet another opportunity to receive God's graciousness as he led me through that wonderful experience of accompanying Handel's great composition. It remained a thrill for the next 45 Christmas seasons. This past Christmas was bittersweet, as I knew. It would be the last time that I accompanied the Hallelujah Chorus as organist in this congregation. And what a thrill it was to hear the brass ensemble be part of that accompaniment. That's something we've been working on over the last several years and are now seeing more players join in accompanying this piece. But I'm a bit ahead of the story. And so the tapestry of this congregation continued to be woven according to God's plan. The senior choir increased both in numbers and in talent. Westminster was becoming known for its strong teaching and its music in the worship services. Musicians began to trickle into the membership, enhancing what was already here, as well as helping to build the future of Westminster's music. But the congregation was beginning to outgrow its facilities. The thinking of that congregation was that we would never grow beyond the 400 sanctuary seating capacity, that daughter churches would be started, and that the congregation on Oregon Pike would remain the body of support for new churches. Well, you know how that worked out, don't you? <laughs> we ended up doing both, growing beyond 400 and planting daughter churches. God's good work was growing. In 1982, we went to two morning services, and in March of 1983, my job was expanded to include organist and director of music. Again, his timing was perfect. Since I was no longer teaching, and my children were in school, leaving my days more free. And I can honestly say that this job be, is one of being on a treadmill that only gets faster each year. Growth during the years since the 1980s has been steady. More musicians came into the program. They provided for many more musical opportunities, and it was a delightful challenge to keep up with the music that they wanted to do. 
Throughout the years, the number of people participating in the music program has consistently been 10% or greater of the total congregation size. That's a lot of choir robes and music, a lot of instrumental and vocal souls, a lot of ideas and things to do. An example of growth is seen in the number of copies of choir anthems that are needed. When I began as music director, I asked Skip if we wanted to be bold and order 30 copies of each anthem instead of the 20 to 25 that we needed. Now, when we prepare choir folders for matins and senior choirs, we usually put about 1,100 pieces of music in the folders, which covers just a few months of services. More people, more pieces of paper. The congregation began with the Allen organ in the choir loft and one studio upright piano in the fellowship hall, which was right back here, and they used that for choir rehearsal and, and um, midweek service. And then Sunday night, we'd move it in here for the Sunday evening service and then move it back again. That piano is now in room 105. In 1975, they purchased a grand piano for the sanctuary, and that's this one. There were three choirs. No, that's not this one. Never mind, I'll get to this one. There were three choirs at that time, primary, junior, and senior. To give you an idea of what has happened with worship services and music since the early 1980s, here's a brief synopsis. 1982, the new Rogers organ was received. 1983, a communion preparation service was added. The Advent series and the instrumental carol scene began. 1984, Matins Choir was formed. Um, Lenten Noonday Services, Reformed Bible Conference and Missions Conference. 1986, two handball choirs were formed. An additional Christmas Eve service was added. 1989, the flute choir was formed. 1990, Hosanna Chorus was formed. 1991, Hymn of the Month was introduced. We purchased the new edition of the Trinity Hymnal. We moved into the new facilities, which is this sanctuary with the, the uh, side balconies, offices, classrooms, gym, and kitchen and a gift of the grand piano, that's this one, for the choir loft. 1993, Tableau was added to Christmas Eve services. 1995, the addition of the Trinity Psalter and the Songs for Praise and Worship, even song choir was formed. 1996, the first Susquehanna Joint Worship Service, which was annual for a few years, and my job became full-time. 1997, music camp began. 1998, we added Finale, which is a music software program to the music department. 2000, Hymns for a Modern Reformation added to the Purex, and I got the first music secretary that year. One day a week, but it was good. 2002, Tiffany were added to the program. 2004, Brass Ensemble and Clarinet Choir formed. Once again, we were planning for new facilities. 2006, we moved into those facilities with a new organ to learn. And by the way, when you, when you learn a new organ, you might know all the music that you're putting on that organ, but you're redoing it because now you have all those other stops and sounds. So everything that you had registered for this organ, the Rogers, is no good. So every single service, 
you're starting all over. You know the music, but you have to start to re-register it again. Night, uh, 2007, String Ensemble was formed. 2009, the addition of a grand piano in the choir loft in the new sanctuary. 2010, a harpsichord was added. 2012, hand chimes were, hand chimes were added. 2013, a fourth octave of handbells added. 2014, music scholarship program added. We now have two adult choirs, two children and youth choirs, five instrumental ensembles, and hopefully the two handbell choirs will be started again. We have, how many pianos do you think we have in this building? No, no. <laughs> we have 16 pianos in this facility, two organs, one harpsichord, timpani, four octaves of handbells, three octaves of hand chimes, and some wharf instruments. We've also had changes in personnel over the years. God continued to provide the people and the resources that were needed in all areas of this congregation's programs. What I have outlined is only one facet of Westminster's life. Each program could provide a list like this. The growth, the commitment, the enthusiasm, the joy in the Lord is seen throughout all of what happens here in Oregon Pike. But in case you are listening to this and thinking all is a bed of roses, I'm here to say it's not. No congregation or job is 100% sunshine. There have been some difficult times, both personally and job-related. And it's in those times that God wove a part of my tapestry that is even more precious than the sunshine times. That's when he surrounded me with people who supported and prayed for me. That's when, he heard, that's when I heard his voice and his word in a way that was more meaningful than on sunshine days. That's when I was taken to my knees in thanksgiving for who he is and for what he does for me and through this congregation each day. I pray that what he has done and will do through the music of this congregation will only be for his glory and his praise. There is not one single person who can be given credit for what he has done here. It is his work and his alone. Just as God has proven his faithfulness to this congregation for 50 years, so he will continue to guide this congregation until his plan is complete. God began a good work here. God has revealed the first 50 years of that work here, and we can't even begin to imagine what he will do in years to come. Those who gathered in his name in 1968 had no idea what God was going to do. Their goal was not for a congregation of this size, nor for a facility of this size. Their goal was to remain faithful to him. They simply followed him, and he led the way. May we always say, Soli Deo Gloria. Uh, my name is Rachel Waldo, and I am the nursery coordinator here at Westminster. I have been the nursery coordinator for four years, and I remember when the position was posted in the bulletin, there was, Jason and I were interested in me applying, and Dr. Rogers stopped me in the hallway, and he said, strong words to strongly encourage me to apply for this job. And I'm so grateful. It has been a fantastic job for my family. It's in the nursery. I can bring my children with me, and they play with the toys as I do my job. So I have really enjoyed it. And as I was listening to Pat and Betsy 
I realized that I've only been the nursery coordinator for four years, but I've been a part of Westminster for 20, over 20 years. And so my story of faithfulness is really a, a more of a personal testimony as opposed to how it has related with my, with my job. And so as I thought and prayed about what to, to say, and as I looked back in my life, there was four stages, childhood, teenage, young adult, and adulthood, and how Westminster touched a part of that um, stage, each stage, and in various ways. So I grew up in Westminster. I came here when I was about two years old as a child. I attended VBS. I went to Sunday school classes. I was involved in a lot of activities here. And Westminster was pivotal in me asking Christ into my heart at a young age. Um, Tom, I remember my best friend was Bethany Lentz. And Tom and Claudia Lentz are longtime members here. My family came to Westminster mainly because of my grandparents, Peter and Sally Alexi. They attended here. And in fact, my grandmother told me that she was on the search committee that hired Dr. Rogers many years ago. Westminster has always been my home church. And although you'll see as I continue talking how I fell away as a teen and as a young adult, um, the truth preached at Westminster and the foundation that was laid for me at childhood affected me throughout my life. At about the age of 10, I moved to Salisbury, Maryland. There we attended a local PCA church, and my father was an elder. As I entered my teen years, I became very, very rebellious. I was so selfish. I really wanted to do what I wanted to do. And I lived a double life, pretending to go to church and do that, but in my heart, I was rebelling. We would often come back to Lancaster to visit family and spend time with them, and when we did, we would come to Westminster And although it was familiar, it was very different to me, having not lived here anymore. After my parents caught me in some very rebellious and destructive behavior, they decided that we should move back to Lancaster County. When I was about 17, I was a junior in high school. They thought it would do better for me to be removed from the environment that I was in, and so they enrolled me in Lancaster Mennonite High School. But my rebellious heart followed me, and I continued to make poor choices. During my senior year, my father was diagnosed with terminal cancer. I remember Westminster had elders come and pray for him. And he died soon after, a few months after he was diagnosed. It was a painful, slow death for him. And I watched as he wasted away to nothing. When my father died, Dr. Rogers led the ceremony, and the service was held here in the old sanctuary. We were supported in many ways by Westminster through meals and prayers. After my father's death, as I entered into my young adulthood, I just turned even farther away from my faith. I thought God was a vindictive God, punishing me for whatever sins I had, and I just couldn't live up to the standard of being a Christian. I just didn't even want the title of it. So when I was about 19... I moved out of my mom's house. But around this time, I met my husband. He was not my husband then, Jason, though. I met him, and he was an atheist when I first met him. I had no problem dating a non-believer. It didn't matter to me. And I really just embraced their worldly pleasures. I would attend Westminster with my mother during that time, but mainly out of duty for her. I just wanted to do whatever I wanted to do. I hated hearing the word no. 
I continued to live that double life and not letting my mother know what I was up to, but I'm sure she did know. During this time that I dated Jason, we had many conversations. I still talked about God with him. We talked about creation and many different things. And during our conversations, he became agnostic, seeing that there was at least a higher being, but not convinced that it was the true God. Finally, the Lord was pulling at my heart, and I knew that if I continued on this path, it would lead to more pain and destruction. So I decided to go to Geneva College in hopes of being surrounded by better friends and in a better environment. I told Jason and all my friends that I never wanted to see them again. I actually blamed Jason for all of my problems. Poor guy. Going to Geneva was so good for me, but of course my sins and my poor thinking of who Christ was followed me. Thankfully, though, Jason was a very prideful person who hated the thought of someone out there that didn't like him. And so he pursued me at Geneva. We talked on the phone a lot, and when I would come home to visit, we would attend Westminster, and he would come with me. Both of our hearts were being softened and drawn closer to God during this time. Jason was going to Westminster. We were both coming here when Dr. Rogers was preaching through the Romans series. And this was just an impactful series for both Jason and I. It really, I heard strong doctrine, and I learned about the power of the cross to forgive, and it deeply affected me. Jason kept attending Westminster even when I wasn't here, and he would sit in the parking lot and talk with my mom about the sermons. It was about then that I decided to move back home to be closer to Jason. So entering into adulthood, Jason became a believer, joined the church, and was baptized. His full testimony is incredible. And Dr. Rogers and my mother and many other people here were pivotal in Jason's conversion. After some amazing premarital counseling from Dr. Light that really helped us through our marriage, and after 13 years of being married, it still continues to help us, we were married in 2005. Jason and I helped in the nursery. We taught Sunday school class. We were involved in home fellowship, and we made amazing friends here at Westminster. I got pregnant, and while pregnant, I had to have an emergency surgery. And it was very scary, but I remember Pastor Irvine calling me and praying with me over the phone and how much that meant to me. And then my firstborn was born, Nora. Meals were brought, and Cindy Barley, who was a deaconess at the time, brought a Bible devotional for us from the church. And it's a book we often use and read from. After a year later, we had a miscarriage when I was almost in my second trimester. And it was very hard for us. But the pastors and Jen Brawl, who's on staff here, were so supportive. And as a sign of God's amazing grace and faithfulness, was soon after that miscarriage, um, Dr. Rogers was preaching on the After Death What series. And the sermon was on what happens to children who die young and who what happens to babies that are miscarried. And I just remember crying at the faithfulness of God and how he had used Westminster and the preaching here to minister to Jason and I during a very difficult time in our lives. I've had a total of three miscarriages. Child number two was born, and we named him after my father, Jay Stewart. We were so excited to have a son, but it wasn't too long after he was born that I found out I was pregnant again. 
And sure enough, 11 months later, we had our third child, little Ivy Karen. So at one point, I had three children, three and under. While I was pregnant with Ivy, Jason's father died very suddenly. We inherited his house, which took a lot of work. Um, Soon after Ivy was born, Jason changed jobs, and then we had three children, three and under. It was a very intense year for us. It was a lot. But Westminster was supportive during this time. My grandfather, Peter Alexi, led the service for Jason's father, and there was a lot of support from Westminster. And in 2016, I had my fourth child, little Violet Ann. Westminster had laid a foundation of truth that I've been hearing for years and years and years. But I still struggled with my wrong thinking of who Christ was. I would often spill something in the kitchen and make a huge mess, and I would think, why was God punishing me? I still struggled with that. I was thinking, what sin did I have that I was being punished for over something silly spilled? But I just, I had that thinking, and I I knew that I needed to learn some more. I needed to be taught. And so about a, a little less than a year ago, I knew I needed to start a Bible study. So I approached Fagel Brooks, and it was just amazing timing. She wanted to teach, and I wanted to learn. So I started a Bible study in my home, and I was excited to learn from her. And she chose to go through the Calvin Institutes. And I thought, this is going to be way over my head. <laughs> And although Fagel often uses large words, I don't know what they mean, (laughs) this Bible study has changed my life. Christ has used Fagel and John Calvin to show me the truth that I already knew, that Westminster had laid that foundation, the truth that I already knew about who Christ is. And here it is. I want to share share this with you. First, that God is sovereign over everything. His hands were on my childhood. The death of my father, my rebellious heart, my relationship with Jason, my miscarriages, and yes, even the spills I have in the kitchen. God is not unkind. He is not vindictive, but he is in control of all things, and his hand is in all things. He is a kind, loving, so, so patient Father in heaven that's not trying to punish me, but refine me to teach me and draw me closer to him. I learned how I am to walk in humility and that Jesus is everything. That the law I once felt I couldn't keep was given to me to show me who God is and the beauty of him. The law was given to me to point me to the redeemer. I will fail daily. I will fail each minute and each second, but I have a redeemer. And the law no longer brings condemnation, but there is freedom and great joy in obeying God. Next, I learned about sanctification and what it means to grow in holiness. And I'm going to leave you with this very, this a very recent story and very personal story about how the Lord has been sanctifying me and growing me. The last Bible study was about the commandment that thou shalt not kill but how we murder with our anger and with our hatred in our heart. My son is in T-ball, and he's been responsible for his uniform. And it was the day of the game, and he could not find his uniform. We looked everywhere. We searched and searched. We don't know where he put it. 
and my heart exploded with anger towards him. I screamed, I shouted, I berated him. I was so angry over this uniform. And I did ask for forgiveness afterwards. We went to the game. He didn't have his uniform. I still went. We played. And it was somewhat resolved. But a few days later, I lost my credit card again. Now, if you know me, I lose my license, my credit card, my cell phone, and keys on a regular basis. I have dropped my keys down a sewer drain, which actually my mom rescued for me. <laughs> I have had my cell phone run over by a van. And another time, I lost my phone for four days in a box of crackers. So here I was. I lost my credit card again, and I had really just lost it maybe six months ago. So it was very recent. But again, I've lost it, and I knew Jason, who's been also patient with me, I knew he was not going to be happy because we had just changed all the information. Um, and so I finally confessed to him. I told Jason that I'd lost it. And at first he was, you know, unhappy. But then, here it is, the Lord spoke to him, and he said, here we are, having lost something way more important than a school uniform, and no one is shouting. There's no one angry. And oh, how my heart broke when I thought of how I had treated my son over a lost uniform. How I had murdered him in my heart. He was, my son was at the bus stop and I ran to him just asking for his forgiveness again. And here's the change. I would have asked for forgiveness before. But through the preaching of the, the word here, I thanked the Lord and praised him for showing me my sin, for giving me a humbling experience, a very painful experience, to show me my anger, my lack of self-control, and my deep-rooted sin. And yet I felt God's forgiving grace. That is sanctification. I would have balked at that before or been angry or thought God a revengeful God. But instead, through the preaching and the people, the Bible study and God's powerful, powerful word taught here at Westminster, I see that there's joy in obedience. There's joy in sanctification and that the law was given to point to a redeemer and that I can do nothing but fall at the foot of the cross. Thank you. Well, I don't know about you, but I have been blessed by hearing these testimonies tonight. I love hearing testimonies of God's work, of God's involvement in people's lives, little by little bringing about changes that we all need, that we all experience. And so I thank you, ladies, for sharing your personal stories with us and in honoring God with that. If you don't have a program, there are scant few out in the information console in the uh, Northex there. We'll see if we can get a couple more uh, printed for the future. But uh, look forward to hearing next week's speaker, Dr. Spanger, same place, same time. Uh, if you can't make it, we are recording these um, this series. So uh, look for it on the website, not right away. i got to give, give them time to edit and, and, and clean it up and get it on the website. But... Uh, they are recorded. So let's stand together and close in prayer, and then we'll be dismissed.
Heavenly Father, we're so thankful that you are a great and awesome God, faithful, faithful. We celebrate your faithfulness. We celebrate your faithfulness in the lives of these three ladies who shared tonight. We celebrate your faithfulness in this church, in this community, in our world. This is your world created for your purpose, for your glory. We long for the day that we can be in your presence in a greater world, the heavens that you are preparing for us. Would you guide us safely home tonight and bring us back together again to worship together? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Good night.